Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello, welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm Philip Topham, your host. And today I'm really excited to have Craig Alexander Retray here. How are you doing, Craig? Craig Alexander? Very well, Philip. Uh, delighted to be with you. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Certainly. Wonderful. So for, uh, for uh, through general networking, uh, Craig and I got connected. And for the those that are listening, you understand that one of the key things I always talk about is networking is one of the few things you can do that's free for your business to get you started. If you're wherever you're at with your hiring employees, figuring out get CTO, getting a network and getting an active network going is really critical. And I'm really happy to have Craig here today because he, he's in the financial space. And one of the key things that startups always want to know is how do I raise money? And also when they're doing the pitch deck is how do I figure out my finances and, and such? Now, Craig's coming to us from across the pond. Where are you coming from, Craig? I'm located just outside Glasgow in Scotland. Yes, uh, hence, hence the uh, a normal accent for you. I have the accent. <laughs> <laughs> you think I have the funny American accent, and I think you have the funny Glasgowian accent. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so... One of the things I wanted to delve into today is, is, is there a big difference? You know, you've, you, why don't you give the audience a little bit about your background and then we're going to dive into sort of the differences between, if there's any differences between raising money in Europe or the United States and, and get your perspective. So first, give us, give the audience a little bit of your background, please. Sure. I, quick, very, very quick potted history because I'll be, I'll be 51 in two days. So, so I've, been, I've been doing this for um, the best part of 30 years now. So I uh, tra trained uh, originally as a, a chartered accountant in Scotland with Arthur Anderson, went on to um, do a lot of work in the corporate finance team, which I found a lot more exciting than, than audit. I, I progressed from there into worked for three different private equity and venture capital companies over the next six years. I then spent a couple of years in industry and, and I, learned, I learned more in my financial management role in industry during those 18 months, two years than I did in the previous nine years because it was all about financial information. It was about managing cash and keeping production running where a lot of the previous work I'd done was, was largely theoretical. So thereafter, I worked with one of my former bosses, helping, helping growing companies with their financial management, with their finance raising. I moved on from that and, and did another couple of FD roles, CFO roles in, in industry. I did some work with a, a Scandinavian private equity company and Credit Suisse, and we invested a, a billion euros in German property over a period. And thereafter, I joined a, a business management and corporate finance boutique in Glasgow. And I, I, was, I was there for, for almost three years and decided that everything I was doing and everything I was working on, I was, I was bringing in myself. So why not just do it for myself and make a lot more money? So I, I did that in 2009. I left with a, 
what I thought was a fairly good plan in mind. No clients, no real cash behind me. And uh, I've, been, I've been doing that for almost 12 years now and working with a range of companies who want to scale, ambitious entrepreneurs and helping them with their financial management, financial strategy and, and overall finance raising. And that takes me into a lot of different and uh, very exciting areas. Yeah, let's let's delve into the, the that uh, the entrepreneur scaling that sort of stuff. So, in my mind, there's uh, sort of uh, anybody that's chasing after I call chasing after the Silicon Valley dream. Uh, the, the I'm going to be the next Elon Musk. I'm going to be the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm going to have a billion dollar unicorn. Uh, we we all see those individuals with a great idea. I just need my Uncle Bob's money, right? Yeah. Uh, and I call that, that's, that's the very earliest stage of companies. They're just proving that they have a market. Where do you get, where do you get involved with companies? At what point are, are you getting involved where they really need that finance capabilities? It, it, it really varies, Philip. There, there's, there's somewhere where I'm brought in at the start. So I, I, I used to do a lot of work with the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, helping with spin-out companies and start-out companies from there. And that was typically someone had a, had a very good idea or had de- developed some intellectual property that they wanted to, co- to commercialise. And we would, we would start there by trying, trying to build a team around that, trying to build a a business strategy, a business plan, and then work out how to fund that, you know, with, with, with an effective financial strategy. Other clients come to me where they, they've perhaps got to a stage where their, their, their growth is either plateauing and they want to push on, or they're going through reasonably aggressive growth. And given that the owner is typically the operational person in the business, he, he typically doesn't understand finance and you know the need for good financial information forecasts and and the funding, and I I work alongside people like that to put all of that in place, and they can get on with the with the day to day operational things, and the, the the bigger strategy, and I make sure we've got the right financial information and, and finance in order to take us on that journey. So it's so it's a, a real mix, and and again yeah. it's a mix of industries as well. Yeah. Wonderful. So, so you'll have a great perspective. So let's start with the earliest stage of companies where they're uh, associated with the university, they've got an idea, and they're building out that business strategy. Where, where does finance come into that place? How important is it at that point of the business's start? It generally comes in very early. It has to, in order to commercialize it, you need, you know, you need to pay, pay people. So there, you know, there, there's generally a, a salary required for a founder. There may be other people involved as well. So you know, the, the finance discussion does happen early. What, what I've found in, in practice, though, is that a lot of businesses are limited by the amount of money they think they can raise. So, so if there's a, a particular funding scheme or there may be grant support or a group of angels who typically invest this type of money, they, they will say, right, well, we'll go here and we'll raise that money. And that could be, you know, 100,000, 250,000, half a million. And they will build the plan around that. I like to approach it differently. I like to say to people, right, there, there's, a, there's a pot of cash in the corner and you can take out of that pot whatever you want, but you need to pay for it. 
So if there's some free grant funding in there, you can take that. If, there, if you're able to get some debt funding, you can take that. And then the, the, the rest is in equity. So how much are you going to take from that pot and what are you going to do with it? Rather than approach it the other way and say, okay, we can only get half a million or 200,000. Let's take that and see where we get to. Because what happens in those situations is that the business typically runs out of cash. Because as you know, things do not, not always go smoothly and they don't always run to time. And what happens is a company will find out that they've run out of cash maybe three months or six months before they, they can get to that next milestone point. And so I, so I always like to look at how much are you going to take and what are you going to do with it? And then what does that do to your company in terms of valuation at that point? Yeah, definitely agree. Understanding what your business plan is, what your business model is, whether your software as a service, uh, whether you're selling a widget and manufacturing with hardware, uh, certainly agree that that has to fill into the business model, business plan. That's one of the key things I don't, I, I see missing in a lot of startups. They, um, they focus on the pitch deck, right? And here's, yes. here's my, here's my, here's my business plan and I put it in the pitch deck and then the financials are just this rough sketch. Nobody ever looks at those, right? Is, do you it's, see that? Is that still, does that happen also on the other side of the world? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can, I can think of one company uh, where we were raising a, a reasonably substantial sum and the various meetings we've had, We've spoken about the business. I mean, you know, it could be a one-hour meeting, and we've spoken about the business for fifty-seven minutes, and then we do a little bit on the financials. Now, that that can often happen at at, at the the initial meetings anyway, and and you then do a deeper dive into the numbers once you understand. But but I think the the two of them have to be joined up. You know, I I, I see too many businesses where we've got the the operational side and finance sitting opposite each other in in different corners. And I'm a great believer that, that, that the whole finance function should be there to, to provide a service to the rest of the business in terms of providing the information, but also being able to go and understand what's going to happen from an operational perspective and make sure we, we have the right funding in place to do that. And I think that the other thing a lot of early, state, early stage businesses get wrong is not just the finance, but it's getting the right people around them. Because I think if you've got, fundamentally, if you've got a good business strategy and you've got a good financial strategy, as long as you have the right people and the right cash, then you should always be successful. And, and where it falls down is that people actually, or businesses end, end up with the wrong people, not enough people, and not enough cash. And that's often the, the, the start of the downfall, in my view. Yeah, I certainly agree that there's a, you know, the founder dynamics is one of the key things I would say is the founders and co-founders have to have a shared vision of how to handle good stuff and how to handle the bad stuff. When things don't go right, uh, go wrong, the, the, the wheels go off the bus, as it were. How, how do you handle that? Who's in charge? How, how do decisions get made? Uh, but the financing, it's the, it's the thing that I can't, every event I've ever gone to where there's startups and such, they're, they have their elevator pitch and they're, they're raising money. They're looking for things. And the, the odds are pretty slim, right? The, the sure. angel investor, uh, they'll review 100, 100 pitches and they'll look at 10 for due diligence and you know, four or five they might fund. 
what do you see as the, the that criteria? What's the ratio that you see, and 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 what's that puts uh, uh, angel over the threshold to invest in a company? What does a company have to have? Okay, um, a couple of things there. I think the the the, the hit rate or the success rate largely depends on the stage as well. So, so is it an early, an early stage opportunity or, or a later stage opportunity? Because with, with a lot of the, the earlier stage opportunities, as you say, it's you know two, three, four out of every hundred. Some of the later stages, the success rate should should be higher. Um, they, they should certainly be a lot a lot higher than that. Um, the same, sorry for the, the yeah the the, yeah the first so I I, I want to drill it first into the people that are getting their first funding right they've gotten yes, they've gone through their yeah. friends and family they've done something they've raised uh, uh, uh you know fifty a hundred thousand dollars euros something uh in that range and they've done something you maybe had grant monies from the from the different uh, government institutions if they're coming out of research but now they're needing more than what their friends and family can do and they know they need to get to the next level and so they always go to the angels right they always yes. think that the yes. angel is going to rescue them so how does that what how does that work in in europe certainly from a from a uk perspective um and, and certainly i've you know I've, I've invested in a number of early stage companies myself as well as having equity and some others from doing some work. So I, I've got stakes in 15 to 20 companies. So I, I've seen it both from the investor standpoint and from the customer perspective. I, I think what, what, the, what the company needs to get across is what, why are they different? What, what, what's unique about them? And can that, can that uniqueness be protected in some way? You know, do, do, they, do they have some way to, to protect that position? Because that's for, for for me, that's the key right at the start, but also going forward, because that, that's ultimately what, what drives the value of the business. And then you've got to look look at the, the market that they're servicing, understand the market. And is it is it is it a new product coming into the market? Is it something that's coming in to replace something else that's there? And really understand that. Because I've seen I've seen a lot of businesses who have something that's really clever, it's unique. But it's different, and and it and it really needs a paradigm shift in the market for that to take off, and that can really take a long time to get the customers putting their money, putting their hand in their pocket to actually start paying for it. And where a lot of early stage companies go wrong is that they work out how long the development's going to take them, and again, as you know, the the development typically takes a bit longer than has been has been forecast. But assuming assuming they get there. The next bit they get wrong is the time it takes to actually get the customer to start paying for product. And I've seen a number of businesses falter at that stage. You know, they've, they've said, right, we're going to develop this. They, they actually manage to develop it and they think they can sell it to the customer within say three months, but 12 months later, they're still sitting and they haven't actually properly engaged or, or, or sold to the customer. That can cause a real problem. And, and, and certainly in, in a number of Scottish companies I've seen, I think if we if we given more thought to that at the start and, and, and work out not just the team, the financials, but also how, how we actually get to that customer and, and how we get them to make decisions and how we understand their timescales, then that would certainly result in more successes. Um, 
in, t- in terms of you know valuation which you, which you spoke on before I, I, I don't have um, experience of, of, of raising money in, uh, in in North America but my, my perception is that companies in the UK and Europe tend to be valued lower than across the pond and I'm not quite sure why but that just seems to happen. Yeah. You know, so, I've been speaking to an investor recently who wants to target a particular sector and buy up certain companies and uh, potential IP. And he believes that just by moving that to an address in Boston, for example, and adding a couple of US citizens to the board, he believes that the valuation of those companies will increase two, three, four times now that's that's the, that's what the perception appears to be, and I've I've seen it, you know, I've, I've seen it myself in terms of companies I've been involved in, and, and we've raised money. We know that we could probably raise more and cheaper money in in other markets. Yeah, there's a couple of quite boy, a lot of questions come to my mind on that. Is what 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 is the typical check size uh, that an angel? I mean, do that in the United States we have you know very defined angel groups. Where they get together, they do reviews as a as a committee, and somebody then says, "Yeah, I really like this." They sponsor that person, and then they do some due diligence. In the United States, they're typically looking to invest two fifty on the low side to five hundred thousand. That's their sweet spot, and for that, they want to take twenty to thirty five percent equity. Is that yeah. typical yeah. for for Europe as well? Is that the sim- similar numbers? Yeah. Yeah, I think in 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 the UK and Scotland in particular, we we I, th- I think we were at the forefront of some of the angel syndicates that that started, and and there's some of the angel syndicates who will invest collectively fifty thousand. There are there are others that will go up to the seven figure mark, and there's then some high net worth individuals who will invest six figures or or even seven figures on their own. There's not there's not as many of them. But there's certainly, um, certainly in the UK, there is there's a reasonably sophisticated angel market. I think where we fall down is is on the next stage. I think um, again from from companies I've, I've been familiar with over the last you know ten years or so, it's reasonably easy to get that initial money. The next stage is probably the more difficult, and and I think part of that goes back to my point about getting to the customer quickly enough and understanding the market and the time scale it, it takes to build that traction. Thereafter, the next stage is reasonably easy as well because we've got a very sophisticated private equity market growing for, for growth capital and development. But it's that gap just post, post, the, post the angel round that, that can be quite challenging. Yeah, that's sort of the chasm. That's the... the... You know, when I look at the cap tables and what the, you know, what the angel needs to make, right? If if yeah. if an angel invests in 10 companies, you know, one or two have to carry the entire risk of the return, right? Yeah. And and three or four, yeah, so-so, and five or, you know, they, they lost their money. Yeah. So you might be doing great in your company, you're doing 40% growth. Great, wonderful. Well, no, you, your growth has to make up for the other people that didn't make anything, right? So you have to you have to have one hundred and forty percent growth, 
and and to to get breakthrough to get to the next level, the A round is is that hold true in Europe or or expectations lower or higher? I I think I think in general the expectations are 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 a bit lower. You know, I I, I can't think of really think of any situations where I felt that the the angel investors have held the company to ransom or, or held the company back. You know, I, I found typically that the, the, angel, the angel investors and the syndicates we have here are very constructive and, and, and they recognize their place in, in the funding. Now, some, some of them can follow on to the next stage, but many of them just approach it on the basis, we'll invest in this, we'll invest at a value of, let's say, 2 million. And by the time we get to the next round, we'll be at 5 to 10. So we've, you know, we've, we've increased our, our money or we've increased our valuation quite a lot. And we'll let that will then let someone else come in at that point. I've never I've never heard people use as an excuse. Oh well, this this is a good one. I've, I've got to make up for two or three bad ones, so I'm I'm, I'm going to be a bit more aggressive and, and hostile in terms of the people who are coming in next. Yeah. It, yeah, it's 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 one of those interesting things. Is is as the world becomes more and more global. Um, I, I'm re, I'm reminded of the uh, the startup genome project that looked at all the different startups around the world, and they discovered that those startups that very early had a office in Europe, U.S. based, tip and but but had expanded very early into Europe with a European author, office, tended to get 10% higher valuations because they were immediately perceived as ready to grow yes yeah. right because they had already have relationships in europe the european union on that doorstep and a little bit of money can just propel that forward they don't have to develop the relationships um, yes. and i think you said the sort of the exact opposite with those that are you know in the european right yes. they, they, they need the british footprint right and I, I think that goes true you know if you if you suddenly get a bunch of money and you're sitting in in London or Brussels, and you get a bunch of money, and you've got to go. Well, how do I sell into the United States? Uh, people have to realize that the East Coast has a very different style of selling than the West Coast or the mid or the Midwest. Uh, in, in one place, you 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 yell at people and tell them to hurry up and you know <laughs> tell you what they think, and they will. And another place, you have to take them out for coffee and dinner and drinks and wine and dine them. Yeah. Yeah, very very different approaches. So it, let's let's move on to the 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 next sort of stage of the business. So then that growth space space. What what gets them over the hump in the in the financial space? What what do they really need to go into to get through that due diligence process to get the pitch to get the money? What do they really need in that space? I th I think if you if if you go to the start. Um, you know, right back to the start. I, th I think there's more focus on the business, the product, the, the the unique abilities of that product, and the and the protection. I think as the company develops, more focus is on the team. I certainly know that when when I was working in in venture capital, that's certainly the way I approached it. Um, you know, the early stages is it's about the ideas, about the market, how how big can this be? But when you when you go through that initial phase. It's then looking at right is, is is this the team that can take the business on the growth journey, because you're ultimately backing the team at that point because the 
the technology or the product at that stage is a given because they've proven that they've, they've got to that point. And you're then just working out, right, how big, how big can this go? How quickly? And then working out quite simply, how much money do we need to deliver that? Yeah, that's sort of a, a big thing, the big distinction that I like to, to explore. I think the angel investors, they get to know the, the founder. They, they are often want to be involved in the business. They usually want to mentor help the companies really get to the next level, figure out their business model. They really want to get them to the next level. The private equity companies, and this is my, I'm asking as a hypothesis, this is how I see it and see if it's true. You know, it's more of the, uh, the spreadsheets and valid, the, the risk of the business model. I've got 10 business models. So let me look at the 10 teams. Who's got the best team? Let me, who has the best protections? You know, it's, it's not, I don't need to know each individual personally. Once I get to the, whittle it down to the good people, then I'll, then I'll do the smell test. I'll go take them out to dinner. I'll go bring them through the, 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 the due diligence. But at the end of the day, I'm not going, I'm going to let you run the business. I'm not going to help you run the business. I'm going to mentor you. I'll certainly fire you if you, if you don't run the business yeah, well, absolutely. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that, and, and, you know, I, I never have any issue with that because if, if an investor comes in on the back of a plan and the management team don't deliver that plan, then yeah, their, their jobs should certainly be on the line. And if money, if more money needs to come in to refinance or, or, or to sort out the problems, then yeah, yes, they should be diluted. You know, that that's only fair. I think most of the most of the private equity companies in, in the UK, I, I would say, operate on a, on a very fair basis. Most of them will operate on the basis they're investing in the management team. They'll let the management team run the business. They will often appoint someone from their own company to the board. Um, they will generally generally appoint perhaps a, a chairman or, or someone external as, as well to the company, someone who can come in and add someone who can come in and add value and, and do something rather than being there as a as an observer as such. So I, I think I think the model works works well here. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd say we have a very supportive um, private equity community. Got it. Uh, so the, the, let's, let's go back to the, the, the how does the, you know, what are some, t are there any tips or tricks to help that you would, or advice that you would give the startup founder? And I'm, and I'm talking about the, let's, Let's break it into the friends and family phase, and then the post, then, then the angel phase. So the first, the first group of the friends and family. What advice would you give them around the finances and financial business models? What are the things that they really should be doing? I go back to a couple of the points I made earlier and say build build your business on the back or build your financials on the back of what you actually need, not what you think you can get and and, and what you can go and access easily. Because if you if you need X, there's no point in raising 80% of X just because that's what a particular pot or, or fund allows you to do. And, and that, you know, that, that in itself can cause a lot of problems. And similarly, I, I would build a team early, you know, build a team with, with the right people at the start. Make sure you're covering off all of the key bases so that you can then take the business through that initial phase in, and, and into the next phase. And I would make sure it's all documented. Because it, it's great, you know, everyone goes into this at the start and uh, we're all, all united and unified and charging in the right direction. 
But things change, you know, people's circumstances change. Um, you know, the business doesn't necessarily go as, as it might. So it's, um, it's very important to have it all documented legally so that so you can then understand what happens if, if things go wrong. I've been involved in a number of um, sorting out disputes. In, even in the last six months, I can think of two. And what, one, one's a reasonably early stage company, probably um, 18 months old. I've been involved for about a year. And the CEO and the CTO basically couldn't work anymore. They couldn't work together anymore. So I, you know, I, I had to get involved in, in that. Fortunately, we did have some legal documentation, but it hadn't been done properly. So really, I was just, I was just trying to find a way of dealing with, with both parties to find something that was amicable and, and fair. And, and we, managed, we managed to do that. I think as you come out of, as you come out of that phase and, and, and go into the, let's say you've gone through the early stage and, and, and you're now at product and service delivering that to, to, to customers. Again, I'd be focusing on the people, focusing on the team, making sure you've got the right business strategy in terms of how, you, how you're actually getting to market, how you're accessing your customers, how, you, how you're delivering that. And really having good, really good financial information, having really good up-to-date information and having good forecasts and making sure your forecasts are realistic. You know, you don't, you don't need to take on the world. You know, don't, don't tell me that, you know, that, that, the mar- that the market's, you know, 50 billion and you're going to get, you know, 1.5% of it. You know, I want you to break it down um, by, by customer, by product, by service, and tell me how you're actually going to access those those um those customers and be you know as well as being realistic be honest you know don't don't try and pull the wool over the eyes of a funder it's funny i, I did a discussion with someone this morning um, who, who was having a meeting um, first, first visit they were having with a potential funder and he was telling me that you know he, he'd answered all the questions honestly and he was answered a difficult question and, and he said and I, and I just i just said you know that's the answer and i was being honest and i said absolutely you know that's that's what you've got to do because you, I, I think, I think where people, people for people forget, or, or owners forget that people are investing in the company. You know, they're they're giving you their hard-earned cash to take a share in your business and to work with you going forward, and you're in there for a long time together. You know, tomorrow, tomorrow you can wake up and you can change your suppliers, your customers, and your employees. You can't change your shareholders tomorrow, so you've got to go into it with your eyes open and make sure that the relationship's right, both today, whether it's going to be right tomorrow and going forward. And you want to make sure that you get on with the people that you're going to have as fellow shareholders and that you've got a shared vision. There's no point in bringing a shareholder in, even if they're giving you the money they need, if they've got a three-year window and you're working to a 10-year window, because that's just going to cause conflict two years further down the line. So make, make, sure, make sure that you're aligned, that you've got a plan that you're working towards together. Wonderful. So, so let me recap for the small companies, build a model for what you actually need to run and build your company. Yes. So build the team quickly and early. And then lastly, make sure that it's legally documented cap tables, ownership and everything else is good. Yeah. And, and it, what, and what happens in the event of a disagreement, because, you know, people fall out, people fall out all the time for, for lots of different reasons. Now, what happens if, what happens if yes. things don't go right, and so so that it can be a lot easier, and then it doesn't impact too too adversely on the business. So assuming you get through that phase, the next phase is continue to work on having the right people in the right places, 
And then make sure that your strategy, your business strategy, and how you're getting the customers is really well figured out or being figured out. And put that, thirdly, put that into a good finance, you know, link that up to your financials so you can really have a good forecast of how well your business model is going and absolutely be realistic and don't, you know, be realistic so you can run the business. Yes, and don't 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 ever lose sight of cash. You know, 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 know exactly where you are from a cash perspective. Be forecasting out, you know, have, have, have your rolling weekly cash flow forecast going out for at least 13 weeks. Have your longer term, you know, PL balance sheet cash flow going out for, for for the remainder of the current financial year and probably the next year and stay on top of it, you know, and, and review this every month, you know, work out what you said you would do, work out what you did and why is it different. If it's good, different, do more of it. If it's bad, different, you know, work out what you need to change. But always revisit what does that mean to your cash? Because too many businesses lose focus on the cash. Um, too, well, too, too many businesses actually don't have any focus on the cash to start with. It's, 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 just, it's just ignored. Got it. So people, strategy, good financials, and make sure you pay attention to them and don't lose sight of the cash and have what they're telling you to run your business. And if you get all of that right, you won't go far wrong in most businesses, Assum- yeah. assuming you've got a sensible business model. Yeah. And then one of the other themes that you applied to both sides, and I'll leave that for last, is honesty and transparency. Be very, be, be honest with yourself, be honest with the investors, tell them what's going on because yeah, they absolutely. can have, right? I think, I think that's just the, the, the right way people should operate both in business and in their personal lives. Yeah, so what I've learned today is is investors in Europe are pretty much the same as investors in the United States. And so if you're listening here in the audience and listening on the podcast, wherever you're at, people are people. They want to invest in good people, good businesses, good business ideas, people that have thought about them really well. And they'll help, but you've got to do your homework and you can't just pay as I, you know, good Texas uh, euphemism. You can't put lipstick on a pig. It still looks like a pig. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So Craig Alexander, I, I'm going to leave the, you know, sort of start wrap it up here a little bit, but you started, you left corporate life nine years ago to go on your own entrepreneurial journey and do things on your own. A bunch of years later, what would you have given, what advice would you have given your younger self when you started on that journey, when you first left corporate world and said, hey, I'm going to do this on my own? What advice would you have given, wish you would have gotten when you first made that step? Uh, yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's, one, it's one of those, I, I never like looking back and saying, I wish I had done something differently. I mean, I'm a great believer that, you know, you're, you're where you're supposed to be. I think um, if it, if, if I was to go back, Philip, I wish I'd done it earlier. You know, um, I probably wouldn't change many things. And I, I think one, one, of, one of the things I did find out reasonably early that it is, it's very easy to be busy. So in the type of work I do where it's, where it's helping people raise finance, it's, it's doing the, 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 the fractional CFO, part-time FD role, it's very easy to be busy. You, you, can, you can fill your diary with meetings. You can help lots of people. It's a lot more. It's a lot more difficult to be profitable and to be busy, and and I think at the start I probably did some things that, in hindsight, I shouldn't have. 
certainly things I wouldn't do now. I used I used to joke, you know, in, in, the, in the early days, if someone had asked me to drive them to Glasgow Airport and given me 50, 50 pounds, I would probably have done it. <laughs> now, that's that's just making the point that at that early stage, you, you're, you're less choosy. You know, I, I, I've become a lot more selective over the years. And, and, and the key for me was always trying to find some recurring income. And, you know, I, I would encourage any business to do that. But, you know, th- there's, there's, there's not a lot I would change, you know, in, in terms of the advice to my, to, to my young self. Probably, you know, be more confident, go out, go out there and, you know, don't be scared to say no. You know, as I said, it's, it's one, one of the things that, you know, you can easily get dragged into things. And, and before you know it, you've spent, you know, three weeks or six weeks and you think, oh, I'll just spend another couple of weeks or I'll have another meeting. And before you know it, you've wasted even more time. So your time, your time is precious. And, you know, fo- focus on the profitability, focus on generating income profitability rather than filling your diary with meetings. But at the same time, speak to the people that you need to speak to so that they, they know what you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, you know, so start early and, and, uh, you know, make sure you focus on the revenues. And, and like you said, uh, make sure you don't be, you're not just busy. And I think that advice goes to all startups, right? Right. We've seen the person who has just the barest of ideas and they're pitching every single place and they're not working on their business model. They're not working on, they've, they've never spoken to a customer, you know? So those are things that we, you and I, I'm sure have seen. So Craig Alexander, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out more? Um, I'll put everything in the show notes that we have that. Best place is, is to find me on LinkedIn, Craig Alexander Rattray. I've got, I've got different websites as well. There's craigalexanderrattery.com and that links into my, my other two websites as well. So, you know, feel free to connect with me. In terms of, you know, business owners and, and startups, I, I, I publish a, a regular Monday morning video called the Monday Minute for Business Owners. And that just provides some tips in terms of generating cash, profitability and increasing shareholder values. So if anyone's interested in following, they'll find that on my, on my LinkedIn profile as well. Excellent. Well, I'll have that in the in the show notes as well. So thank you very much, Craig Alexander. Really appreciate your time today. And we learned a little bit about finances in Europe. So appreciate it. Thanks again. Thank, thank you, Philip. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this show. I'm Philip Topham, the Savvy Founder. Please make sure if you, you know, leave a five-star review. And if you know other founders or other people that like to be on the show, send them my way. I want to help anybody and everybody that's a startup founder, particularly a scalable startup founder, those people wanting to raise equity, shorten their journey. And if today I've shortened your journey just a little bit, thank you for listening. I wish you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and professional lives. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.